Good afternoon, Times Square Church. Um, it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon. As Pastor Carter said, my name is Josiah DeRose. Um, I'm the youth director at Times Square Church Summit Campus. I love working with the youth. It's been a challenge, but it's been good. Um, I'll, also, I'm the special projects supervisor for Summit International School of Ministry, which is just a fancy way of saying I do a lot of painting. So um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you um, to the uh, pastors here for giving me the opportunity to, to be able to share this afternoon. Um, I want you all to just imagine something with me real quick. Do I, are, there, are there any marathon runners in, in the house? Any, any, a few, okay, not very many people. I want you to imagine for a second that I'm a marathon runner, okay? And you're gonna have to pretend it because there's no way I could run a marathon. But a marathon is just over 26 miles, okay? So it's, it's a long way, and, and I want you to imagine that I'm lined up at the marathon line. I'm at the start of the line, and I'm holding in each hand a gallon of water, getting ready to run. Okay, and so you see me, you think, okay, he's probably an amateur, doesn't know what he's doing. So you come up to me and you say, hey, Josiah, you don't have to carry the water with you. They'll actually provide stations along the way where you can have Gatorade or water or whatever you need to keep you hydrated. You don't have to carry the water with you. Now, what would you say if I looked at you and I said, show me in the marathon rule book where it says I can't carry this? You'd be like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Like the, 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 the rule book has nothing to do with it. How is it going to help you? You're getting ready to run over 26 miles and you're holding about 20 pounds of weight in your hand. It's not about what the marathon rule book says. It's, it's not going to help you. In other words, you, you tell me that I'm missing the bigger picture or, or I'm asking the wrong question, right? But it's interesting that sometimes as Christians, we can ask the wrong question in life. Sometimes we can do this exact same thing where we say, show me in the rule book where it says, I can't do this. And we're, we're, we're asking the wrong question. So I want you to keep this, this scenario in mind. And I want to show you how sometimes we can be like that runner. Okay? How many of you have faced the decision before and you thought, man, I wish the Bible told me exactly what to do in this situation? Anybody been there? And the Bible doesn't tell you exactly what to do. Right? I think that as a general rule, we like things to be cut and dry. Right? We like things to, we like to know that this is good, this is bad, this is the right way of doing things, this is the wrong way of doing things. You know, I don't think it's just like in direction in life or, or morality. I think that we, in general, like to be told what to do. Like, think about it. If, if you're on a quest to lose weight or to, to bulk up and get some muscle, some people will hire a physical trainer because the physical trainer will say, if you, if you want to lose weight, this is what you got to cut out of your diet. These are the exercises that you got to start doing. You know, they're there to tell you what to do, to help you along. Or if you're trying to learn a new instrument, you know, we, we hire teachers to tell us, these are the, the exercises that you need to practice. If you want to get better, these are the, the things that you shouldn't be doing. So I think as a general rule, we like things to be black and white, right? We like things to be cut and dry. And the Bible is very cut and dry on specific issues. The Bible has something to say about morality. And as Christians, it defines morality for us, right? And I think that there's several things that most of us could probably agree on. 
For example, I don't think that anyone in this room would approach Pastor Carter or one of the pastors here and just be like, man, my roommate is annoying me to death. Is it okay if I kill them? <laughs> like, I don't think anybody would say that because we know, no, the Bible says that we shouldn't kill. It's pretty, pretty black and white, right? Or I don't think that anyone in this room would, would say, my 70-inch plasma screen TV is just not doing it for me anymore. I want a whole new entertainment system, but I can't afford it, so is it okay if I steal from my company so that, so that I can afford this new system? No, the Bible's pretty clear. We're not supposed to steal, right? So the Bible is cut and dry on many issues. But how many of you know that in between what's right and what's wrong is this big area called what? It's called the gray area, right? In other words, the Bible doesn't specifically tell me how to respond in certain situations. And, as, and this is where it's important for us as Christians not to be asking the wrong question. How many of you have ever heard this before? Show me in the Bible where it says that this is a sin. Or how many of you have said that before, right? Show me in the Bible where it says this is a sin when it comes to the gray area. And I'm telling you, if, if that's the question that you're asking, you're asking the wrong question. Because sometimes what we'll do is we'll try to justify certain behaviors simply because the Bible doesn't give specifics on it. And we're not asking the question, well, how is this actually helping me? And so what I want to do this morning for us is how do we approach the gray areas in life? How can we make God-honoring decisions? Because the Bible is not specific on every area of life. It doesn't tell us exactly what to do in every situation that we face, but it does give us principles to live by. And so what are those principles? What I want to do this morning is, is to go over five principles that the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians to help us navigate through these gray areas. And, and the title of my uh, message this afternoon is Navigating the Gray Areas. And I, I once, or I saw this pastor kind of phrase these principles as questions. It's a pastor named Warren Wiersbe, and he, he framed these principles as questions that we can ask ourselves when evaluating a course of action in some of those areas. So we're going to look at some of those principles, but before we do that, I just want to give name to some gray areas. All right, now it's getting scary, right? What, what do I mean when I say gray areas? What are some things that that might pertain to? Now, before I do that, I want to just clarify this, that I'm not making a judgment statement on these areas. I'm not saying whether I personally think that they're good or bad or whether you should or shouldn't do them. I'm, I'm staying neutral on this. I'm simply going to bring up areas that I've had in conversation. People that are like, well, what's the appropriate response in certain things? Or, or what things should I, should I or can I be involved with? So these are th these areas that I'm going to be bringing up. And it's not exclusive. The, the areas I'm going to be talking about, it's by no means exclusive. But it's just to kind of give us an idea of what I mean by gray areas. All right, you ready? What are some gray areas? What about the issue of modesty? You know, New York is, is like fashion, industry, and all that kind of stuff. But as Christians, how are we supposed to respond to modesty? What's too tight? What's too revealing? What shows that we're clothing ourselves with dignity versus trying to flaunt ourselves? Right? So it's a question. How do we respond to modesty? What about drinking alcohol? You know, if, if I just want to have a glass of wine at night, 
just to unwind and relax, then what's the problem with that? Right? It's a question people ask. What about smoking? The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not smoke. So is it okay or is it not okay? What about, what about this one? I'm sure everyone has done this one. What about giving an answer to someone where we're not directly lying, but we're phrasing the question in a way so as to deceive them to think something else? I've done, I've done that so many times where I'm like, I walk away, God, I didn't really lie. But I knew that I deceived them. What about the area of music and entertainment? As Christians, should we listen to secular music? What about the type of movies that we're watching? The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not watch rated R, but PG-13 is okay. It doesn't say that. I mean, there weren't movies back then. So what, what's too much swearing? At what point is it too much violence? At what point is there too much sexual content and innuendo? How do we, how do we navigate deciding what we're going to consume in our entertainment? What about the area of how you spend your money? If I give my 10% to God, can I just do whatever I want with the other 90%? What if I want to buy a lottery ticket? What if, what if I want to go to the casino? I'm, I'm not addicted to gambling. I just like to enjoy a night out every once in a while and go to the casino. Is there anything wrong with that? What about the issue of how you spend your time? Might step on some toes here with this one, but if I want to binge watch on Netflix every weekend, that's my prerogative, right? How, how about the way that I spend my time? And so these are some areas that we might face as Christians where we're just trying to evaluate, you know, the Bible doesn't give specifics on it, so what course of action am I supposed to take? And I think that if we're not careful, we can have two unhealthy approaches to how we approach the gray areas in life, if we're not careful. And I don't think that we would ever directly say this, but I think that we can go this route. Number one, I think that sometimes we can think that God doesn't care about my decisions in the gray area. As long as I do what he says to do, and as long as I don't do what he says not to do, then everything that happens in the middle is up to me. God's just kind of like, do your own thing. God doesn't care about that. I'm telling you, God cares about every decision you make in your life. It's because God loves you so much that he cares about every decision that you make in your life. And it's not like he's a, a controlling God that's just peeking over your shoulder and waiting for you to mess up. Like, what are you doing here? Why did you do that? No, it's, it's not like that. He genuinely cares and wants to be involved in your life, in every aspect of your life. So sometimes we can treat the gray areas as, as if God doesn't care about those decisions. And then secondly, sometimes we treat the gray area like there's no consequences for the decisions we make there. Think about this for a second. The Bible says that what you sow, you reap. Okay, so do this exercise with, with me real quick. If I sow good, I'll reap. Okay, if I sow bad, I'll reap. If I sow in the gray area, I'll reap. Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> what? So, maybe, so I think sometimes we can have this mentality that the decisions in the gray area, they don't really, they, there's no consequences to them. But how many of you know that there are consequences for every decision you make? Good, bad, the gray area, everything. There's consequences for the decisions that you make. There's no neutral ground. 
You know, it reminds me of this story that I heard of a, of a little boy. He had one responsibility in his household that he just hated, and it was to clean the outhouse. He couldn't stand cleaning the outhouse because it was smelly, it was messy, and he just loathed the life because he had to go out and clean the outhouse every morning. But this boy, he came up with a good idea. He thought if there's no outhouse, there's nothing to clean. So what he did is he woke up extra early in the morning and he went to the outhouse and he pushed it in the river and watched it float downstream. Problem solved, right? Well, his father called him into his office a little bit later that night and he said, son, do you know why I called you here? And then he said, yes, father, you, you called me here because I pushed the outhouse into the river. And so his father said, so what should your consequences be? Didn't you all hate that when your parents said, what, what, should, what should your discipline be? <laughs> said, what should your consequences be? But the boy was smart. He had thought about this. He had planned that this was probably going to happen. And so he said, Father, let me tell you a story. He said, George Washington, when he was a little boy, he had this axe. And he went and he cut down his father's cherry tree. And when his father asked him about it, he told him the truth about cutting it down. And because he told him the truth, his father didn't discipline him. So seeing how I've told you the truth about the outhouse, I don't think that you should discipline me. And his father responded and said, son, George Washington's father wasn't in the tree when he cut it down. The consequences of that decision were a lot greater than he probably realized they were going to be, right? And that's how it is. Sometimes the decisions that we make, the consequences are much greater than what we maybe anticipated. And I want you guys to get this. Listen closely to this. The decisions that we make in the gray area can lead us into making good or bad decisions in the black and white. Get that. The decisions that we make in the gray area can lead us into making good or bad decisions in what God has called good and evil, black and white. You know, the entertainment that we allow in our homes, do you know it's shaping the way that you think? It's desensitizing you to issues that you shouldn't be desensitized to. It's affecting how you perceive things, shaping your worldview. Do you know that the, the way that you speak, the way that you dress, the activities that, that you and I involve ourselves in, they not only impact us, but they impact how others perceive us and relate to us. Or that the way that, the way that you spend your time and money can determine how effective you can be for the kingdom of God. So the decisions that we make in the gray area, they're very important. They have consequences. God does care. So what, how do we navigate these areas? What are, what are the principles that scripture gives us? And here are the principles um, that Paul gives us. There are five that I want to point out that I think, and, and they're posed as questions that we can ask ourselves to help guide us in, in the decisions we make. So number one is this. Will this build me up or tear me down? 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says this. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So just to bring some context around this, Paul had brought this incredible um, message of freedom and of grace to the Corinthian people. He was talking about how 
we're saved by grace through faith. Right? There's this, this concept of freedom that we have in Christ, how we don't have to earn our way to God, how we, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get the favor and the approval of God. It's through his son, it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we're accepted in God's sight. And so he's brought this incredible message of freedom. You know, we're not judged based on our performance. And the Corinthians got so caught up on this concept of grace that they began to misconstrue it. And they had this saying where they would say, all things are lawful. In other words, if, if the grace of God covers me, whether or not like I'm acting the way I should, then technically I can just do whatever I want and, and the grace of God should apply to me. All things are lawful. It's almost like the runner saying, show me in the rule book where it says I can't do this. But the Corinthians, they even took it a step further and they were even participating in things that God had condemned in scripture because they were using grace as an excuse to walk in those things. And so Paul's saying, listen, you say it's lawful, but does it build you up? Is it helping you? And I think if we ask ourselves that question, it might change some of the decisions that we're making. If we're asking, how is this building me up? Is this going to help me to love others? Is this enhancing my spiritual life? Is this cultivating godliness inside of me? Is this drawing me closer to God? Does this help me trust him? Does this help me hold fast to his promises? Is it building us up or is it tearing us down? Question number two is this. Will this bring me into bondage or freedom? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12 says this. It's similar to the first verse we just read. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Listen, Paul knew that we have natural desires, right? But our sin nature will always try to take those natural desires and try to distort them in a way as to bring bondage in our life. That's the natural tendency of the sin natures is to bring bondage in, in someone's life. And so he's saying, ask yourself, could the action I'm considering be habit forming? Could it possibly bring bondage in my life? Do I have a propensity towards addiction in certain things that maybe someone else is okay involving themselves in, but because I recognize I maybe have a propensity towards addiction, I just need to abstain altogether versus allowing it to bring a bondage in my life. You know, if, if we do know that and know that participating in certain things could bring us into bondage into something, then I'm just going to avoid it. I'm not going to go there. Right? In other words, Paul is, in a way, he's saying that your freedom to do certain things may turn around and bring bondage in your life. Could the way that, you know, there's no, we know that there's nothing wrong with money, right? What's the root of all evil? It's the love of money, right? Well, could the way that I use my money and, and the, this whole mentality of consumerism bring me under the bondage of greed and covetousness? Taking a good thing, something there's nothing wrong with, and if I'm not careful with it, it can cause something in my life, that, a bondage in my life? What about the images that I see in movies? Could the images that I see in movies and the TV shows that I watch, or maybe even the, 
the lyrics to the songs that I listen to? Is it bringing temptation in areas in my life that could eventually bring bondage or is helping support a bondage I'm currently in? What are those things doing for us? Is it bringing us into bondage? And then he takes it even a step further a couple chapters later. First he's saying, anything, I'm not going to be dominated by anything. And then he goes to this, which is, which is question number three. It says, will this make me a stumbling block or a stepping stone to others? So now it's not just about whether it could bring bondage in my life. It's about how is it affecting the people around me? That's not a popular message today. We kind of want to be like, I'm doing my own thing. Everyone else, they can, if they don't like it, then that's tough, right? That's the mentality that we can have sometimes. But will this make me a stumbling block or a stepping stone to others? 1 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 9 says this. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So just to kind of bring context to this verse, this is a great example of a gray area that the early church faced. And this was the question that they were asking. Is it okay for Christians to eat meat offered to idols? In other words, what was happening is they lived in a pagan culture that would take an animal to a pagan temple. They would sacrifice this animal in an act of pagan worship to their pagan god. And then they would turn around and sell the meat in the marketplace. And so the Christians were concerned. They're saying, hey, if, if this animal or this meat has been dedicated to a god, should I be eating that? It was a legitimate concern. And this is what Paul said. Paul just kept it simple. He's, just, he's like, listen, don't ask questions. Just buy the meat and eat it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 25. That's literally what he said. He said, don't, don't ask questions. Just buy the meat and eat it. We know that our God is the true God and idol is nothing. Just, just, just eat it. That's the freedom that you have in Christ. But he had a clause. And this is the clause. He went on to say, if someone informs you that the meat was offered to an idol, do not eat for the sake of their conscience. In other words, get this. A freedom that they had in Christ, they would willingly give up so that they didn't offend the conscience of another. We're not to let our personal freedom bring bondage in someone else's life. That means my love for my brother or sister may cause me to lay down my rights at times for their sake. That's hard unless we have the grace of God working in our life. Question number four is this. Will this help me bring the lost to Christ or will it turn them away from him? 1 Corinthians 10, 32 through 33 says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. How many of you know that the world is watching you? The world is watching you. The things that you allow or disallow in your behavior can affect your witness for Christ. What is, what is my testimony telling the world about the hope that is in me? What is my testimony telling the world about my relationship with God? Does the world look at me as a Christian and, and say, I don't see the difference? Listen, we have a, a world that is dying for hope. We have a world who, who are searching for answers. 
And God forbid that, that our lives ever become a, um, just another face in, in the crowd that doesn't seem to have anything different in their life. Everything else, you know, our lives just seem the same as every other ungodly person walking the streets. No, but the things that I'm involving myself in, the decisions that I'm making, what is it saying about my testimony and about the hope that's in me? And this all comes to this place. It comes to like this capstone question, which is number five, which is this. Will this bring glory to God or does it simply please me? First Corinthians 10 verse 31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. That means the end goal of everything that we do is to bring glory to God. That means that we can pray about every decision that we make in life and just say, God, I just want to get your heart in this. I just want to know what, what you're saying to me in this case. And that's part of being led by the Spirit. That's part of being led by the Spirit is we're involving God in every aspect of our life, not just what the, the, the right or the wrong, so to speak, but I want God to be involved in every act, action, every decision of my life because he cares about it. In other words, it's bringing this constant awareness of God in my life. My goal is to bring glory to God's name. And that's my prayer, you know, not only for myself, but for everyone here this morning, that this would be our prayer. God, the cry of my heart is to bring glory to your name. I want to obey you where scripture is clear, and I want to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit where it's not clear. My life, my decisions, my actions are ultimately to bring glory to you, God. Guide me in the best way possible to do this. Amen? Amen. I want to just briefly share a, a personal testimony, just something in our family that really stuck out to me. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side was an alcoholic for many years. And thank God that God intervened and delivered him from alcohol, and he got saved, and th there came that day where he never went back to alcohol again. God did an incredible work in my grandfather's life. Now, growing up in my family, my parents never had alcohol in the house. And when I got a little bit older, I asked my dad about it. And he didn't say, well, Jesus drank wine, and you know, or he didn't use any kind of excuse or anything like that. There, there were two things that he said to me of why we never had alcohol. And it was this. It was number one, he knew that when he had a drink, he was going to want more. And because he knew that he had a propensity towards addiction in it, he wasn't even going to ever go there. But number two, he never wanted to be a stumbling block in my grandpa's life. Where there had been an addiction. And so for that alone, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about these areas. But the Bible wasn't even involved in that. It was just these principles that are in the Bible. I'm not going to go there. And I think that as Christians, when, when we can ask ourselves these questions and live by these principles, God's going to guide us in the gray area. God's going to give us discernment in the decisions that we make. Amen. I want to close this message by saying this, that this message is not about pointing fingers. Now, I'm sure some of you are, have thought, man, I really wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. 
<laughs> right? This, this message is not about you being concerned about someone else. This is about looking into our own heart, into our own life. Be slow to judge what others allow in their life and quick to seek the Holy Spirit on what you allow in your own. Be slow to judge what others allow in their life and quick to seek the Holy Spirit on what you allow in yours. And I'm not saying there's no place for us to encourage our brothers and sisters or, or to talk about things, but we should never come across as condemning. Pastor Warren Wearsby, he's a pastor and Bible teacher, he said this, he said, the mark of a mature Christian is not just a Christian who lives in freedom, but a Christian that balances freedom with responsibility. In other words, we're, we're, we're thinking about others in our actions. We're not just thinking about the moment, but we're asking these questions. We're living by the, these principles that Paul gives us in Scripture. And we can have victory. This is a very practical message, but I think that it's also very spiritual because what it's doing is it's causing us to seek the Holy Spirit in everything in our life. Amen. It's causing us to, to walk in accordance with the Holy Spirit. And I think that if, if, if we get, like, as we, we work on these things and as we get to that place, God's going to do something incredible in your life. Amen? Amen? I mean, if you could stand with me, please. And this is the, the altar call that I want to give this afternoon. You know, Pastor Carter said something um, at the Tuesday night prayer meeting. And he said this. He said, if you're going to be in as a Christian, you might as well be all in. If you're going to be in, you might as well be all in. Listen, I don't want to live this Christian life doing just enough to get by so that I can go to heaven. I want my life now to be a reflection of a surrender to God. I want my life now to be an example to those around me. I want my life to be surrendered. And if that's the, the cry of your heart, we're, the, these altars are going to be open. We're going to go into a, a worship song. And if the cry of your heart is, God, I just... I want to give everything to you. Every area of my life, I give into your hands. The decisions that I make in the gray areas even, I want to give that to you. And here's the thing, maybe some of you are thinking, I just could never give that up. Maybe you felt God challenging you in certain areas and, and you thought, I've just gotten so used to it, I don't know if I could give that up. Listen, wherever God leads you, he will give you the grace to sustain you in that. He will give, the, the, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have God Almighty living inside of us, wanting to do an incredible work in our life. And he is giving us the grace and the strength to sustain us in every decision that we have to make. Just step out and say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And maybe there are some people here where, forget the gray areas, you know you're struggling so much and just doing what's right where God tells you to do right. Listen, God has given power. I want you all to know that. God has given us power through the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us to walk in this incredible grace that he's giving. So if, if that's you, if you're just saying, I, I don't want to just do whatever to get by in this Christian life. I want to go all in with my walk in Christ. Go ahead and make your way to the altar and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this afternoon. God, I thank you for everyone in this sanctuary. 
God, I know that it can be hard sometimes. God, but I pray that the cry of our heart would be that every aspect of my life would be surrendered to you. God, I pray for people in this room who maybe are just struggling. God, I pray for, I thank you for that grace and that strength that you give to sustain. God, even the the message this morning, God, I I don't wanna play around. God, there, there are serious things going on in our world right now. And I wanna be as available as possible. God, I want my life to be as available as possible. God, and I pray for everyone in this room. God, I pray for everyone in this room that you would provide that grace and that strength. And I thank you for the work that you're doing in our life. God, and it's not gonna be a a boring journey. God, you wanna do things with our life. And I thank you that as we simply trust and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, not relying on our strength, God, but relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you give us the grace to walk forward. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.